everything that was going on in the U.S. surrounding some very high-profile incidents was eventually going to make yeah. its way up here, and it has. Yeah. And unfortunately, as a result of that, a lot of the law enforcement community became demonized. I mean, you seem yeah. like a hard guy. Right. <laughs> well, I've seen you within the community, and like, you know, you don't look very approachable. <laughs> That's my opinion. <laughs> I've heard that more than once. Yeah, yeah but uh, you know what? For, for what it's worth, if it's any consolation, I'm a big teddy bear. That's okay, gotcha. Right? So, people over here so mouthy towards cops. You get into a little scuffle on Granville Street, and like a police officer breaks it up. What's your badge number? Yeah. <laughs> What's your badge number? Oh. Tell me your name. Like, I don't have 1500 bucks in my bank account. I'm going to hire a lawyer. My lawyer's going to call you tomorrow. What's your badge number, buddy? <laughs> yeah, if I, if I had a penny for every time, I got to How do you deal with that? How to end gang violence within our community. I mean it when I say this. It does take a village to raise a child. Like, get out there and try to make a difference in somebody else's life. And let's just get rid of that attitude that it's not my problem. Yeah. And what if somebody is going through suffering and hardship yeah. and struggle in our community? This is a problem that we all need to deal with together collectively. All right, we want to welcome you guys to a very special episode of the E Squared Podcast. It's going to be a quick one. We have a very special guest today, Caldo Sanchez. Thank you so much. I really appreciate being on the show. Uh, we appreciate you taking the time out of your day, you know, coming on and uh, answering a few questions. So let's get straight into it. Are you still a cop? Yes, yes. Yeah. Coming into my 24th year. 24th year. But like, okay, you kind of run the Kids Play Foundation, which like, if you want to give a brief overview of that. Yeah. Well, there's no such thing as a brief overview. Okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> right. quick question. But you I'll know, put, I'll put it into all the context. Time. <laughs> I'll put it into context. So yeah, I am coming uh, into my 24th year as a police officer. Mm -hmm. uh, spent 15 years operationally. Yeah. Uh, operationally meaning patrol officer on the streets. Yeah. <clears throat> the majority of that time was spent in the downtown east side mm -hmm. as a beat patrol officer. And... Um, I'll have to be, I'll be upfront with you guys. Like it's just when you come into policing, especially yeah. into a place like downtown East side, growing up in an environment like this, where mm -hmm. we are at the moment, you're very insulated yeah, and very naive. I think to the way how the real world works, right? And it's just because when you're exposed to something like that in the downtown East side, that's where you really see the yeah. seedy underbelly of yeah, society, absolutely. drugs, gangs, assaults, extortions, kidnappings, prostitution, you name it. Everything yeah. from A to Z. Right. And so, but it's at a, like compound that times 10. Yeah. Whatever you think is bad times that by 10. You know, I like, I was actually just watching that episode. I've seen this probably at least 10, 15 times in my life when you were walking with Harpreet Singh in the East side. And like, how many years ago was that? It was like 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I love that episode. You know, <laughs> <laughs> Harpreet Singh's just walking in. He's got like the collar shirt with the little scarf. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know what? It's You're just, walking the beat. I'll never forget the look on his face. It's just like after he was done, it looked like he was traumatized. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, well, it's going to be okay. Right. It's yeah. just, <laughs> I mean, that's the stuff though, right? We often think about like, you know, what we see on the news and like, of course, like gangs and that sort of thing is like the overarching thing. But how about all the stuff that doesn't um, make the news? Like if you meet like drug addict parents who neglect their kids and, you know, certain situations like that, like what I've always wondered is how do you not bring that home and how do you not like allow that to like get inside you? Well, no, you do bring it home. Yeah. You do bring it home. And um, I think, and um, I don't want to paint with a broad, broad mm -hmm. paint stroke, but unfortunately um, there's a lot of police officers that do suffer from PTSD. Yeah. And that's primarily on account of the fact that they do bring it home. Yeah. And unfortunately, that can manifest itself in some very dysfunctional ways. Absolutely. And so uh, having said that, I think it's extremely important and crucial 
to be cognizant of how that affects you gotcha. and impacts you and recognize it for what it is mm-hmm. as opposed to the old school days where drink turn it off. to the bottle yeah yeah right and <laughs> shrug it off and uh mm-hmm. yeah chug of the bottle and you're good to go right and, and like do you talk to like a therapist or something or like have you ever spoken to anyone with some of the stuff that you've seen yeah and can you give us an example like if it's not you know stepping in of something that's like pretty bad that you saw that affected you deeply my brother you would see it all down there like uh, constantly and daily uh, i would see overdoses mm-hmm. uh, i would see a huge range of suicides yeah. and uh victims of assaults mm-hmm. and um robberies and shootings right point being like i hate to say it but i've literally seen it all oh wow and <laughs> so in that respect yeah it clings on to you yeah uh, but at the same time when i first got on the job it was a senior officer that said to me they said emotions are like a bag Mm -hmm. that you carry over your shoulder every single situation or circumstance or incident that you go to if you start taking a little piece of that and throwing it into the bag eventually your bag's going to get heavy yeah yeah, yeah. right and you got to just sort of let it go you detach you have to you have to sever that connection Uh, you have to detach otherwise i mean you're connected with this umbilical cord to the job all the time and so i think uh having constructive positive outlets is important and uh you know what i can say um, with confidence that my outlet is the work I do in the community. Mm-hmm. Uh, that has been very therapeutic. That, like the kids play stuff has become oh. more of a, like a purpose driven thing. Whereas like- purpose, it serves multiple purposes yeah. for me. Uh, one of them being obviously, uh, it's my form of meditation. Yeah. Right. Allowing to connect with kids mm-hmm. uh, and um, seeing them progress and succeed yeah. and do well. I'm telling you, man, there is no greater feeling than that in the entire yeah. world. And I mean that sincerely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've pulled out some very, very high profile gangsters out of the, the gang life okay. uh, that are with Kids Play now. Yeah. And one of them in particular being Stan Price. Okay. Uh, he used to be the leader of the Red Alert Native Gang. Okay. Red Alert is considered one of the most violent native gangs in all of North America. Mm-hmm. Uh, they operate quite heavy in Alberta, and a chapter in Winnipeg as well. Yeah. And uh, so Stan was from the island. Um, Stan grew up in a very dysfunctional household. Yeah. Uh, a lot of domestic violence, abuse. Uh, saw his family members getting hooked on drugs. Yep. Stan got introduced to it at a very early age. Yeah. Uh, ended up getting into um, construction and ironwork, transitioned out of that into the drug and gang life and took over as a leader in the downtown east side. And where I'm going with this is after we pulled him out of that lifestyle and we were up in Fort St. James just a couple of weeks ago to do a drug and gang presentation on a native reserve. And Stan and I, uh, at the end of that night, we're just sitting down just chatting Mm -hmm. over dinner. And he goes, I have never felt this level of inner peace ever right because he said granted i was making a shitload of money doing what i was doing Mm -hmm. and living the fast life money money, all of the all of the above all of the above but at a very high level right and he goes yeah i was blowing 100k a week right and so (laughs) that's what i'm saying that's that's who he was yeah but he goes i would sacrifice any of that for in a split second for what i have now he goes i after a presentation like this, he goes, I'm going to finish dinner. I'm going to go home. I'm going to go to sleep. Yeah. He goes, and I sleep peacefully. Yeah. Right. See, that's interesting. Now, like I want to kind of transition away from that. Now, you know, you just spoke to him. He was a first nations native guy. And like, you know, he had that whole thing on the Island where family members doing drugs, et cetera, et cetera. What do you think 
plagues the Punjabi community because that's what we're kind of seeing a lot more in the news and like you know of course like I've had certain friends and family members involved in the life where do you think it goes awry for our community specifically well my brother if you're going to compare um, apples to apples uh, look at it this way Mm -hmm. you have two completely different polarized worlds of gangsters yeah you have one world where one would logically Mm -hmm. and rationally think this kid must come from absolute poverty yeah. in order to be driven into the drug and gang mm-hmm. life because it's so lucrative. Mm-hmm. They're driven by money, yeah. <clears throat> which makes sense for some of the element that I saw on the mm-hmm. downtown east side. Case in point uh, was Shane Knox. Shane Knox is another high profile UN gangster. Yeah. That we pulled out of that life, but check out his story. He was born to parents who were meth addicts. Okay, yeah. They were doing, do it. yeah, no. they were like using mm-hmm. massive amounts every single day. They were complete meth heads. Yeah. He was born to them. Yeah, yeah. And sure. instead of feeding him milk, mm-hmm. they were giving him Kool-Aid. <laughs> and well, that's what I'm saying. Like as soon yeah, as you're know, born, like yeah, and it's stuff like that. And instead of giving him baby formula, they're giving him Kool-Aid. His grandmother, social services was about to take him into custody mm-hmm. and take him away. His grandmother intervened, took custody of him and raised him. Yeah. But... He was somebody that was naturally going to gravitate and transition into that lifestyle. Yeah. And so he came from extreme poverty, came from meth head parents, saw all that, mm-hmm. transitioned to lifestyle, had a good heart, left, yeah. right? And he's doing very well for himself That's now. Good. So you have that side mm-hmm. uh, of the hemisphere. Mm-hmm. And then the other side, you have, going back to what you're saying, yeah. you have these high profile um, South Asian, Indo-Canadian gangsters that came from money, yeah. wealth, mm-hmm. status, title, uh, privilege. But that's not right? always the only factor. Like, of course, like, you know, some people, they just had like maybe dads that were a little bit neglectful. They could have been alcoholics. They could have been beating their moms. Um, there are certain situations. I've seen some research stuff where some of these guys, not saying all of them, but like there's degrees like might have been like assaulted as kids. And like that kind of creates this moment of like a moment of weakness where you build this armor around you for like your entire life. And that doesn't just go towards gangsters or even I can say for myself, like losing a fight or something or being like bitch made in high school because this guy was beefing with had like crazy cousins. And then I got beaten up in a fight when I was 15. (laughs) And then um, I decided to learn martial arts. You know, I kind of built up this thing like where I'm not necessarily afraid of people anymore, but you build an armor and, Cal, like with you transitioning into being a police officer, was there ever a moment or was it a variety of moments that kind of made you like, you know, you work out, you're in shape, you have this demeanor about you that um, kind of transitioned you into wanting to build this armor around you as well? You know what, you in order to do what I did, you have to have that armor mm-hmm. and uh, you have to carry yourself in such a way that it's you're in complete survival mode. Yeah. But before I go there, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Is that uh, I think it's important not to um, paintbrush all gangsters the same way in the South Asian yeah. community that they all came from privilege. There's a lot that I know that did, which didn't make any sense to me. Yeah. It's completely mind-boggling and irrational mm-hmm. for somebody that came from such status, wealth, and yeah. privilege to transition into that hardcore yeah. lifestyle. But then the other side of the equation, if we're going to start comparing um, compartmentalizing yeah. was Balbutar. Sorry to interrupt that juicy conversation, but we just want to thank everyone for listening in on Apple and Spotify. Subscribe, follow, check out our TikTok, and shout out to all the other people showing love. We appreciate you. E Squared Podcast. Subscribe. 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 <laughs> <laughs>
I'm gonna fuck you. <laughs> mm-hmm. So Manny Amar, um, good friend of mine who passed away uh, from a very tragic incident mm-hmm. uh, just a little while ago. Manny Amar was a filmmaker. Yeah. I mean, and, he uh, made, uh, what's that one, Warrior Boys, was it? or uh, Was it called Warrior Boys? Or? Yeah, a Warrior's Religion. Warrior's Religion, that's the one. And uh, so Manny Amar did some tremendous work with South Asian gangsters to document uh, what circumstances sort of precipitated them mm-hmm. going into that lifestyle. And going exactly to the point that you just made mm-hmm. that some of these kids come from trauma yeah. and eventually transition to lifestyle. So Bal Butar was considered responsible uh, for multiple homicides. Mm-hmm. He was a suspect in them. And um, so what goes around comes around. He was shot in the back. Yeah. Uh, and he became a quadriplegic. Yep. So he's lying at GF Strong at VGH. GF Strong, for those that don't know, it's um, a place for recovery for people that have sustained very major and extensive injuries. So he's lost uh, his limbs, his body, mm-hmm. uh, control of it. And, but he can still talk. Mm-hmm. So Manny got in to go see him, and Manny asked him, he said, do you recall uh, at which point in your life you chose this lifestyle? Was, yeah. there, was there a turning point, yeah. a tipping point? And check out his response. He said, my dad was an alcoholic, mm-hmm. and he used to beat the shit out of my brothers and I, and my mom as well. And um, in all his innocence as a young kid, he thought to himself, I want to make my dad proud so that I can ask him to stop drinking alcohol Mm -hmm. and then we'll live peacefully every hour. Yeah. yeah. Like how heartbreaking is that? Like a child in all his innocence is just thinking something that is just as simple as Mm -hmm. that. Like that's the equation. And so there was a coloring contest at his school and a he, coloring contest a coloring contest at school okay. he was only around 10 11 years old at the that's time so he, coloring contest there was a coloring I mean, contest that's interesting yeah know? right uh, yeah and uh there was a coloring contest and he thought to himself you know what i'm gonna go win this thing yeah i'm gonna get first place prize i'm gonna come sprinting home with this first place prize certificate and i'm gonna show my dad he's gonna be so proud mm-hmm. and he's gonna say you know what what would you like? Yeah. And he goes, that'll be my moment. That'll ask him, stop drinking alcohol. Yeah. Let's become a loving, peaceful family. Wow. And that Disney happy ending. I can almost see where this is right? going. Right? You know, it's I'm, just like that. Yeah. He's visualizing this yeah. all in his head. It's scripted. Yeah. Right? And, but it's just, unfortunately, like this is, this is the birth of a villain. Mm-hmm. Like this is where it happens. That's the origin story. Yeah. Where he did win the competition. He did come sprinting mm-hmm. home just like he visualized. And his dad was lying drunk on the sofa. He shakes his dad awake. He's like, hey, look, I yeah. won. Here's a, take a look at this certificate. His dad gets up, rips it into multiple pieces, throws it in his face, and he goes, no son of mine is going to be an artist. And Bell's like, that's when I knew who I was going to be. And I stole the very first thing I've ever stolen the very next day wow. from my teacher's desk. I mean, yeah, I guess that'll do it. You know, you had this hope in your mind. Well, I think that's when anytime we imagine something and it doesn't play out, like that's the first step towards disappointment. And you know, that seems like such a tragic moment for someone, you know, because that's like the disease of alcoholism. Like you're not really dealing with a tr- rational person either, because I think anyone who's like sober, even if he didn't want his son to be an artist or whatever it was, you still be proud that somebody, you know, that you love want something. Yeah. And, you know, if you had that in your head and you're like, I'm going to 
do this. My dad's going to be proud of me. And, like, that's a big thing with our culture in general. Like, our parents, like, at least mine, like, it's not always, like, praise. It's always, like, you can do better. You can do better. You can do better. And it's never, like, good job. Yeah. I mean, but that kind of shapes, you know, who you are. Like, we do live in a generation now where everyone kind of wants a pat on the back for showing up. Whereas, like, I think it has been beneficial to, you know, always be like, okay, it wasn't enough that you can do better and that'll kind of drive you forward. Yeah. What's your kind of thoughts on that? Because you're a dad now, obviously. Yeah. You know what? It's, um, I've had to change my attitude as a dad as well, because yeah. I grew up in a household, which you essentially describe yeah. right now. Like you can always do better. Yeah. Right. And you're constantly striving yeah. for perfection, mm-hmm. but that's not what it was ever about. Yeah. It should never be about striving for perfection. It's obviously about striving to be the best you can, mm-hmm. the best version of yourself. Yeah. Right. But in the same vein, it's just like there has to be those subtle reminders of encouragement. Yeah. Right. And indeed that pat on the back. Yeah. Right. Which gives that kid motivation and inspiration to continue yeah. in their journey. And it, this has been an evolution for me. Yeah. Where being a dad, I think I had to change a little bit my mindset mm-hmm. as well. But more importantly than that, like when I go into the community, Anytime we do drug and gang forums or conferences, Mm -hmm. it's not just about inviting the kids out. It's about inviting the entire family out because it's about bringing educational awareness to the entire family Mm -hmm. unit. Because if the kids' attitude changes about drugs and gangs, but the household environment remains toxic and the same, nothing's ever going to change. It's the virtual equivalent of spinning your uh, wheels in the mud, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the entire household environment needs to be changed and needs to be fostering and cultivating a positive healthy mm-hmm. mindset and environment. Yeah. But like I said, it's just, it comes down to parenting one-on-one yeah. and where uh, these parents, uh, a lot of these parents come up to me afterwards, Nepali, yeah. like we need to have this heart and yeah. attitude with our kids. Well, yeah, and no, yeah. right? Like you don't always want to be that authoritative figure. Otherwise, like it's a totalitarian yeah. state, right? Like you're con- that kid is going to constantly feel they're in jail, mm-hmm. right? There needs to be that rapport building, mm-hmm. communication bridge that that kid should feel open mm-hmm. to come and talk to you if they're experiencing any major issue. Yeah. But do you feel that kids of today's generation, and I'm, I'm sure many of us would agree, like, do you feel that they're softer? And like, <sighs> there's a little bit more, like, there is a little bit more like kind of getting participation awards and things like that. And like, that was like, I saw that even throughout my high school um, era is where things started to kind of shift where like when I was in grade eight, the guys in grade 12 were like, you know, gangsters and you know, they were drug dealers and those were the cool guys. But by the time we got to that age, it wasn't necessarily that same thing. Things were already transitioning. And like, I guess the wokeness or whatever was, you know, being applied to, to kids at that point. Yeah. I'll agree with you. I'll agree with you yeah. on that. I think uh, it needs to be a very centralist approach mm-hmm. where um, you got to have the hard love. Yeah. Right. You got to be tough when you need to be, but at the same mm-hmm. time, encouraging, loving, supportive environment. Give these kids the guidance and the encouragement that they need to succeed. Yeah. And so that's why, with a lot of our volunteers that come through Kids Play, um, it's a bit of an eye opener for them because the thing is, I have high expectations. Yeah. Right. Like I'm very loving in that respect that I'm like, I am going to be here for you. I'm going to give them, yeah. give you all the research you need to succeed and do well. Yeah. But at the same time, here's my expectations of you. I mean, you seem like a hard guy. Right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, 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 I mean, it's the first time we're ever, 
like having a conversation but like I, you know I've seen you within the community and like you know you don't look very approachable <laughs> that's, that's my opinion <laughs> I've heard that more than once yeah, yeah but uh, you know what for, for what it's worth if it's any consolation I'm a big teddy bear that's okay, what gotcha. I mean. so that's how my kids describe me now but at the same time it's just like I, I do want to be hard with these kids yeah. uh, I will treat every other kid like my own kid as well yeah, yeah right and that's the attitude I've always taken into the community is that I want every child to succeed yeah. I want every child to have the equitable platform mm -hmm. the same opportunities right and but at the same time like I said I do hold uh, high expectations mm -hmm. because I want these kids to understand if I'm not hard on you now a little bit yeah you're gonna have to step out in the real world absolutely right so over 25 volunteers that came through kids play are now law enforcement okay sheriffs corrections police officers and I, they, all of them yeah. have thanked me for being as hard as I was Absolutely. on them because they said, you know what? That prepped us. That yeah. got us ready, gave us the, uh, the rough calloused edges that we needed to yeah. survive in that world, right? Do you feel that, you know, now that, like, I, I guess the sentiment, like, you know, in the general public is that, like, being a police officer is not quite as prestigious as it used to be? Why do you feel the distrust has kind of been created? And, like, I mean, it's as simple as, like, you know, when we were, like, 19, 20, like, People over here are so mouthy towards cops where like in the States, like, you know, I think everyone knows that like you wouldn't say anything. You know, you get into a little scuffle on Granville Street and like a police officer breaks it up. What's your badge number? Yeah. <laughs> What's your badge number? Uh, Tell me your name. Yeah. Like I don't have fifteen hundred bucks in my bank account. I'm gonna hire a lawyer. My lawyer's gonna call you tomorrow. What's your badge number, buddy? <laughs> Yeah, if I, if I had a penny for every time, I got to How do you deal with that? Brother, you know what the thing is? Uh, unfortunately, um, as a result of a lot of what's happened in the U.S., it has reverberations. Yeah. Right? Like it, um, all that has that ripple effect that it ends up coming mm -hmm. into Canada eventually. Yeah. And so everything that was going on in the U.S. surrounding some very high profile incidents mm -hmm. was eventually going to make yeah. its way up here. And it has. Yeah. And unfortunately, as a result of that, a lot of the law enforcement community became demonized. Yeah. Where, you know what, you have a guy like me that, and there's many others mm -hmm. uh, like me that take out their own time yeah. to give back to the community. Like my role in kids play is strictly voluntary. Mm -hmm. Like I take out my own time because I, I have that passion, that yeah. drive. I want to connect with that community. Mm -hmm. And I think when the parents and the kids meet me or other officers like me that are doing good work mm -hmm. out in the community, they realize, you know what, there's a human element here. Yeah, like, yeah. We're also parents. Yeah. We're also coaches. Mm -hmm. We're also involved in, we're part of the community. Yeah. Robert Peel was the father of policing. Okay. Uh, when police, uh, the concept of policing was first created back in England. Mm -hmm. And he had this one line, which reverberates true till today, is that the public is the police and the police is the public. Okay. They're, they're one of the same, yeah. right? We're all part of the same community. It's a community. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, what's ended up happening is there is this line that has been drawn between the public, the community, mm -hmm. and the police, where the police are seen as this authoritative state yeah. in uniform that comes down they're heavy. Villainized, right? They're villainized. Yeah. And so, but in the downtown east side, I can tell you for a fact, and you can ask Stan, Shane, any of the guys that I was able to pull out of that mm -hmm. lifestyle, they all say the same thing. They said, we were fair. Yeah. Like, we never came in heavy. I never yeah. came in heavy. I always came in fair. Yeah. And if somebody overstepped those bounds, yeah. there's consequences yeah, yeah, in absolutely. place. But you don't go in heavy, pushing your weight around. Mm -hmm. And you want to do everything in such a way that it's calm, collected. Yeah. But more importantly, you're showing kindness, compassion, absolutely. and an understanding. When you have those virtues and attributes, I'm telling you, that's what yeah. begins to build that relationship. But you know, like, I guess, like, 
you're a human being you have a bad day I don't know maybe you argue with the wife you had a a bad day with something else you got a bill that you didn't want maybe your mechanic you know <laughs> you had to were or something now you're pissed right <laughs> <laughs> so, that's not like it's coming from personal experience <laughs> I saw you getting all jacked up here with <laughs> recalling you that know, incident <laughs> I, had a, I had a coffee today I had a coffee in two weeks so like, and then he did this <laughs> <laughs> the girl didn't return my <laughs> yeah, that's right <laughs> And like you have this bad day and like you're you're an officer, you're out there and like, you know, some guy's just melting you off for no reason, you know, calling you a bitch or, you know, a goof or whatever, like something negative that's really like there to set you off, not in like the right way. Like, you know, they're not trying to actually come to any understanding. They just want to set you off. So you react in that situation. Like, do you sometimes feel shackled and be like, oh, I just want to drill this guy one time. And like you have to kind of restrain yourself. I mean, if it's on Granville Street, people are drunk. Maybe maybe you can give them, rough them up a little bit more. <laughs> but in general, like how often does that cross your mind? Like you see flashes of red, and like maybe you lost control in a certain situation. Yeah. In your younger days. <laughs> I'm not talking about last week. Yeah, you, <laughs> yeah. Speaking of that, yeah. right? <laughs> As a matter of fact, on Tuesday. Yeah. No, you know what it is? Well, let me tell you about the time that you put me in handcuffs. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, let's go over that. Yeah. yeah. No, you know what? It's uh, like we're only human at the end of the day. And granted, yeah. like there's some situations that are going to happen which uh, do uh test your temper right? Absolutely. but i think the important thing to recognize here is that we all became officers because we have that professionalism about yeah. us where we understand that there's rules regulations policies which govern us yeah. and that we're actually held to a higher regard mm-hmm. uh, there's multiple um legislative legislative pieces in place to ensure that police are always acting within the perimeter gotcha. of their responsibilities mm-hmm. and if they overstep that bound there's some serious consequences for so that. are you speaking in more of like an idealistic type of situation where they're supposed to follow certain protocols like i know at least from you know my point of view like i felt like there was a little bit of unjustness and people not willing to listen in like certain conflicts that you know we've had like and of course like Majority of my interactions with the police have come from me being downtown. Sure. I've gotten a speeding ticket or two that I felt was unjust or like uh, something stupid like that. But, you know, beyond that, I don't have too much interaction with the police. No. You know what? But speaking of that very point, brother, I think it is also the officer's responsibility to explain themselves such a way that they take make the effort to listen to the other person, too. I, I, I guess so. I, I did. So. Like, it's not they need to explain themselves. Yeah. But more importantly than that. I was always a good listener in that way mm-hmm. is that I would always sit the person down and let them uh, express themselves in such yeah. a way that they could get it off their chest, whatever it is, because mm-hmm. there's, there's always uh, two sides to a truth, mm-hmm. right? There's always their side, our side, and then somewhere in the middle mm-hmm. is the actual truth, right? Yeah. And so <laughs> a senior officer of mine, when I first got on the job, he said to me, he goes, remember this kid and it'll serve you well for the rest of your life. He goes, uh, believe half of what you see and none of what you yep. hear. Yep. Right. So, uh, but you're absolutely right. Like, it's just maybe the response that I am giving is very idyllic. But at the same vein, police officers should be held to a high regard. Yeah. And they should appreciate and understand that they have a responsibility to yeah. the public. But at the same time, like I said, it's just um, when I first got into policing, I just 
going back, alluding to where I started this entire conversation from, is that we were very insulated. Yeah. We came in. I don't think we were really exposed to the world. So it was a little bit of a divide there. It was a yeah. bit of a us versus them mentality where yeah. police officers on one side of the line, line in uniform mm-hmm. trying to enforce the law and on the other side yeah. is public. It's not until I started working in the downtown east side that those lines began to blur. Yeah, absolutely. And we began to understand, hey, like these guys are human beings. There's, yeah. a, there's a human element here. Mm-hmm. And we really need to understand, like they're not just junkies. Yeah. They're drug addicts yeah. with a, a chemical yeah. dependency. Yeah. Right. And we need to treat it as a medical issue. Absolutely. And it was there that I think we really began to empathize absolutely. with that human element there. I think until you actually speak to some of the people, you kind of do separate that. Like I've, sometimes compared um you know driving through downtown east side as like an african safari you know what i mean <laughs> it's a zoo. <laughs> i've called it the zoo the animals are coming and you gotta put the windows up you know it's a very fast way of, of describing it i'm not saying it's right but yeah. I mean that. yeah, that's that's where you're coming down to the east side you see the signs do not get out of your car yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, on the safari do not feed the animals <laughs> do you feel like all this experience like if you weren't doing the kids play stuff has it jaded you you know what yes absolutely yeah. um so let's just go back to the beginning so mm-hmm. when i was working in the downtown east side for sure man yeah it's like being jailed you asked me earlier you said did you have to have a tough exterior yeah, yeah. and part of that tough exterior entails being um, being cynical, yeah. skeptical, becoming jaded, yeah. calloused, right? Mm-hmm. All of the above where yeah. you can't help it. It's a survival coping yeah. mechanism. Mm-hmm. And But I would return back to my locker at the end of every shift and something just didn't feel right. Yeah. Where I felt like, you know what? I could have done more. Yeah. As a first responder at a grassroots uh, level, yeah. I have the ability to make that impact and social change mm-hmm. And there's almost a moral and social obligation yeah. to do so, right? It's not just about enforcing mm-hmm. the law. Like there's more here. And I think part of the reason why I was getting that feeling all the time is I would see a steady stream of kids yeah. that were entering the open air drug market. Yeah. And these kids were using and selling. Okay. And a lot of these kids came from uh, lower socioeconomic, mm-hmm. impoverished backgrounds, living in subsidized housing, welfare families, mm-hmm. never really been afforded the opportunities to engage in positive constructive outlets. Yeah. We'd be arresting these kids, pushing them through the criminal justice system mm-hmm. with charges. They'd get thrown into IDC, which is a youth detention mm-hmm. center, and spewed right back on the streets to yeah. re-engage in that perpetual cycle of yeah. violence. You know, there's this, like, and like coming back to the jaded part, there's this, like, certain dimness in someone's eyes. And, like, you see this with people who have, like, committed murders or they've been through other traumatic events. Um, even police officers, you know, like yourself, like, watching the downtown east side with the with Harpreet saying, like, I could almost see it through the screen. I wasn't right in front of you, but it seemed like you had a bit of a dimness in your eyes from seeing too much, which I don't see sitting across from you right now. It seems like you're a little lit up and, you know, you're having a good time. Because you guys are good guys. It's just uh, some good energy I, in this I, I room right that. now. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe it's the coffee, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say that, but yeah, like, you know, like, I guess you having the kids play um, gives you more of like a purpose per se and it's like more of a positive outlook whereas like I guess if you run the like you know if you're walking the beat or whatever you're kind of only seeing 
negativity, like day in, day out? Yeah, going back to your or point. Or is that not true? No, of course it's true. Okay. Of course it's true. <laughs> like you're bang on. Yeah. Right? I, I think there is a dimness there because, you know what, I've just, I became tired of explaining myself in this community when I was running kids play programs yeah. where I'm constantly being asked, why do you do so much? Yeah. Like, especially in the Punjabi community, like it's, uh, you get this young attitude where mm-hmm. they're like, yeah, yeah. right? You know what? Just do your thing. Mm-hmm. Like, why do you bother? Yeah. Their attitude is that, you know what? If some kids on drugs or involved in gangs, that's their parents' problem, yeah. not ours, mm-hmm. right? So uh, what bothered me about that the most is that this is a community, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's where the dimness came from. It's just like a feeling a sense of helplessness yeah. where you see the same thing over and over mm-hmm. and over again. Another shooting, another stabbing, yeah. more gang violence, more Absolutely. drug activity, another overdose, another suicide, mm-hmm. another hanging, like yeah. on and on and on. Wow. And you think to yourself, like, what can I do about this? Yeah. And so in that respect, I think shortly after uh, that Heartbeat Singh interview, like there was a couple of um, incidents that happened the culmination of it all just finally sort of triggered that response for yeah. me where I, I felt I need to do something about it. And I'll share one of these stories with you. Mm-hmm. So I was the acting sergeant um, one night. It was around 2 a.m. in the morning. I was in the patrol cruiser and uh, it was dark. It was raining. I remember pulling my car into the lane in the 100 block East Hastings. Yeah. And I bring it around and I see this young kid sitting by in a garbage dumpster getting his crack pipe ready. Young kid meaning how old? Uh, yeah, it turns out he was 15. Okay. And so he's getting his crack pipe ready and he sees my cruiser. He drops the pipe and he begins to walk away. Yeah. And I already made up my mind. I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to arrest this kid what, for petty possession. It's yeah. just like, I want to know what this kid's circumstances are, mm-hmm. right? Like, where's his home, his family? Where did he come from? Like, mm-hmm. these are real lives we're dealing yeah. with, right? It's like, this is not um, scripted or uh, a movie. Like this, these people come from real situations mm-hmm. and real circumstances. So I get out of my car as he starts to walk away. I'm like, hey, come here for a sec. Yeah. And uh, he kept walking. Yeah. He yeah, just yeah. completely ignored me. So I say it again, this time a little bit louder. And he turns around, he walks up to me and he puts his wrists up in front of me. And he said, if you're going to throw on the handcuffs, do it now. Otherwise, I take it, I'm free to go. Yeah. And it just his audacity and yeah. how calloused he was talking to a senior officer like that. It didn't come as a surprise. Yeah. Uh, because he's, he's already pro- been through this a couple of times. Yeah. He's, a by, he's a by, byproduct of the yeah. environment. It's not his mm-hmm. first uh, rodeo, right? And so I'm like, hey, listen, man, you're not under arrest. Yeah. I'm not going to throw on the cuffs. I legitimately and sincerely want to know, like, what are you doing down here? Yeah. Where's your family? Where's your home? What brings you down here? Mm-hmm. And... Not a word of a lie. He puts his head down for a second, closes his eye, thinks about it for a second. And then he looks me in the eye mm-hmm. and he didn't a- answer my questions. He posed the following questions yeah. to me. He said, if your mom left you when you were young and you have no idea who she is or where she is, and your dad's lying shit-faced on the sofa right now and has no idea where you are, yeah. and your only brother is sitting in jail for dealing drugs, <clears throat> he said, where would you be? Yeah, well. And yeah. He's right. Like, where would I be? If anybody tells me otherwise, I, no, I'd, I'd still be in a yeah. good family. No, that's not true. Yeah. Right? Like, in the, right. yeah, you circumstance, man. It's mm-hmm. just like your environment makes you who you are. Yeah. I don't care who you are and what you say. Mm-hmm. Right. And granted, like some people are, are able to 
uh, face that adversity and make it through, but the greater percentage yeah. of us would be in the similar circumstances yeah. that he is. So I think it was important to empathize with him at that mm. point and let him know, hey, like we got you, Absolutely. right? Don't, don't worry. So I was able to, <clears throat> I listened to him, I said, hey, listen, we're going to help you out. Yeah. So I called MCFD, which is a Ministry of Children and Families. Yeah. And so he was removed from the environment and he was put into a group mm-hmm. home which was a far better environment that he was in. Yeah. But at the same time, I've been asked multiple times over the years, hey, what happened to that boy? Yeah. And I'll be honest with you, I don't know. Yeah. There's a thousands of stories like him, but I'll tell you what he did for me. He was my tipping point. It, it was honestly a moment of epiphany and revelation for me where I realized I need to do something about yeah. this. Like this is within my mm-hmm. hands. Like I, there is something I can do within my capacity to change these kids' circumstances. Yeah. And so the very next day, I approached my department, requested some nominal funding yeah. so I could start running programs on my own time yeah. for inner city kids. Awesome. I mean, we got a little bit of time left, so we'll just get a couple more questions in. Yeah. You know, you said that you come across like a lot of positive views and they're saying like, oh, why are you doing all this, et cetera, et cetera. I'm sure being a public figure, you get a lot of hate as well. How do you handle it? Because I personally, like, I mean, in our comment section, sometimes, you know, people say some things like, oh, this guy's a fool do. I don't mind that. That's fine. It's when people try to twist the narrative of what we're trying to say. Like, that pisses me off. I don't handle that well. How do you handle the hate? And what are some techniques maybe you could use? <laughs> no, you know what? There, there are no techniques, brother. knowing that, you know, you're doing good and whoever cares about you and stuff like that. Oh, 100%, yeah. right? It's just like... Once again, going back to what I was saying, I think that's primarily the reason why a lot of them come up to me and they're like, like you know, what, what's in for you? Like, why are you doing so much? Right? But are people being like, oh, I got the uh, bullshit? Naturally. Like <laughs> right? It's just, unfortunately, our community has become <laughs> ingrained. Yeah. Our community has yeah. become ingrained with this toxic, negative attitude. Yeah. Uh, where it's become characterized by rumors, gossip, and drama. Yeah. Like we feed off that. Oh, yeah. We thrive we off it. that. We love we it. We love it. <laughs> right? And so what I'm saying is just like, okay, if you have a problem with me mm-hmm. doing all this, then do it yourself. Yeah. Right? Then if you're if you're going to tell me, hey, you sit down, don't do this anymore, then go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Like if, then if you're not willing to take out your own time yeah. to serve the community and help somebody out, then don't be... Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, impediment absolutely. in our path, yeah. right? <laughs> and so for me, the, going back to what I was saying earlier, where I got tired of having to explain myself. Yeah, here's what I've seen. Like honestly, if I could grab, I don't know, I shouldn't say grab, but if I could show one of these guys, yeah. hey, come with me for a second. Yeah, let's come to the downtown east side, right? Come with me on a call. Let's see you handle this. Yeah, right. And if they had to see the body of a young kid that's died from malnourishment yeah. or yeah. died who's parents have died from an overdose and they're lying around him dead how do you cope with that how do you deal with that when you see a situation over and over and over again i'm telling you it does something to you yeah right and so in that respect it's just that has been um a deep motivating factor for me that almost this attitude never again gotcha right i'm not going to let this happen to anybody else where you you go in and you're you're going to do whatever's in your capacity to make that change for those that are listening, I mean, if they do want to comment, they can comment all they want, but mm-hmm. I will personally introduce them to these people that we have helped in the community. Yeah. And one of the stories I want to share is Avery. Okay. Avery and her brother were introduced to us uh, by MCFD, the Ministry of Children and Families. So mm-hmm. we do a lot of work with them as well in the community. And Avery is only nine years old. Yep. And her brother being 12. Is this like this happened like now or no no and their mom passed away two years ago and uh, the dad 
unable to handle the loss, uh, became an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. And so they were both being raised by their grandmother, mm -hmm. still are. <clears throat> but we got asked, they said, you know what, if you could take care of this family and help mm -hmm. us out, uh, they need resources and support. Mm -hmm. And I just thought to myself, you know what, we will give these kids all the support, love and resource that they yeah. need to succeed, mm -hmm. right? At this moment in time, we need to be their family. Yeah, this yeah. community needs to be their family, right? It's just the slogan for kids play is it takes a village to raise a child, yeah. right? And there's a reason why uh, that slogan exists because if you take a look at where we all come yeah. from, we were uh, nomadic tribes yeah. where we settled down into small villages and we all took care of one another. Mm -hmm. Even if it was somebody else's kid mm -hmm. that was involved in bad shit, Right, the entire village would get involved yeah. and it does take a village to raise yeah. a child and so i these two kids have been with us from day one mm -hmm. since uh we got introduced to them we always keep them with us all yeah. the time right just giving them positivity giving mm -hmm. them resources and support so in november of last year i got approached by kenda spelling bee and okay. they said can you identify one child that you would like to participate yeah uh and become a participant in the spelling bee and I said, yeah, her, Avrit. Yeah. And so we started prepping Avrit. And uh, here's the crazy story. So uh, while we're doing this, there was another kid mm -hmm. that was introduced to us uh, through the ministry. Let's just call him Billy. Okay. Billy's 16 years old and uh, also came from an abusive household. Mm -hmm. And um, his sisters would take care of him yeah. when they were older would take care of him while the mom was working multiple shifts to make gotcha. ends meet. And the dad was a complete alcoholic, mm -hmm. uh, very abusive. And so uh, when the sisters turned 18, they're like, they got out. we're out of here. Yeah. Right? They bounced. So he sh uh, felt neglected. Yeah. And um, the mom, seeing her circumstances, that the sisters are gone, grabbed Billy, she left too. Yeah. And so they moved into uh, a townhouse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so she's working two, three jobs to make ends meet and raise Billy and uh, at least away from an abusive um, mm -hmm. husband. And so Billy, extremely intelligent kid, would be getting a 4.0 GPA, but was obviously um, manifesting all that hurt yeah. and that dest through destructive behavior. Mm -hmm. So getting in uh, trouble at school all the time, expelled, suspended, um, being involved in situations where police would be coming yeah. and dealing with him. And so we slowly took Billy under our wing as well. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <clears throat> he just needed a positive, solid role model figure. Yeah. Uh, male role model figure in his life. And so we gave him that, mm -hmm. right? Where we connected him with the right mentors and I would personally mentor him too. Yeah. And so gradually, slowly, we started noticing a change, positive change in his behavior. And... So as we're prepping Avrit, mm -hmm. Billy, seeing all this, says um, to me, he goes, do you mind if I do it? If I prepare her? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because he had started developing that mentor relationship with mm -hmm. her as well. And we're like, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Right? So here's the crazy thing. You had one broken soul yeah. fixing another. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Billy started training her and getting her ready yeah. for the spelling bee. So she, Avery, participated in the Spelling Bee in yeah. March at Richmond Quatlin College. Yeah. 
and she scored in the top 10. Wow. Well, <laughs> you know, it is, that is going to be probably the best mentor in that situation because there's a element of relatability. Yeah, man. If you know, if I come from an insulated household, my parents are awesome. You know, it's all love. You know, I'm rich and I'm trying to tell somebody who like has zero circumstance like, yeah. compared to mine. Yeah. They're going to be like, this guy's full of shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? So of course I think like some of the best mentors are going to be people who have been previously damaged. Um, we don't have that much time anymore. We probably have time for one more question. If you had to point to a quick little quip about how to end gang violence, well, not end gang violence. I don't think you can ever do that, but reduce some of it within our community, within the Punjabi community. What would you, what would you say? And I know you got a TED talk about it. I didn't watch it because I wanted to get more of an organic reaction for myself. Yeah. What would you, what would you suggest? You know what? Once again, uh, I mean it when I say this, it does take a village to raise a child. Yeah. Like going back where, I mean, these guys that are um, uh, armchair quarterbacks, mm-hmm. where uh, keyboard warriors, I call them, where they're sitting yeah. at home and might be making these kinds of comments about putting somebody else down or, or hatred. Take all that energy, yeah. right? And apply it to the community. Yeah. Like get out there and try to make a difference in somebody mm-hmm. else's life. Granted, uh, you know what? A lot of people have... Um, different reasons uh, for not wanting to get involved and that's their choice to make. They might have been through some trauma themselves Mm -hmm. where uh, they're trying to deal with all that. I understand all that. But at the same time, like, look, you know what? It is going to take a community to come together to make a difference in these kids' lives. Mm -hmm. And let's just get rid of that attitude that it's not my problem. You know what? If somebody is going through suffering and hardship and struggle in our community, this is a problem that we all need to deal with together collectively. Yeah, It has become that kind of like separatist type of thing. And I think that's a large uh, element of like when I guess the opera community started making a lot more money in general. Like, whereas like before when everyone kind of came here, like, you know, I'd be at my neighbor's houses and that they'd be walking around or um, you'd be over there after school. They'd be looking after one another. Whereas now, like, it doesn't seem like that's a case. People seem a little bit more separated. They seem like, Oh, like, you know, we don't really trust those people as much. That could be families, friends, etc. It seems like groups are a lot more isolated than they used to be. Yeah, but the problem with that becomes is that as soon as community starts to dilute, yeah. right? And that's where there's huge gaps left mm-hmm. in uh, society where yeah. these kids fall through. Mm-hmm. And w- unfortunately, then what happens mm-hmm. is we become a society where we watch the news, mm-hmm. read the newspaper, read about more violence uh, happening in the community and we basically shake our heads and say, somebody should do something about this. Well, that's somebody as us. Yeah. Right? Like we all need to step it up together. Can you go back though? I mean, like in terms of like when the community was more dirty because now it's like, okay, yeah, your neighbor, you know, in the last five years, maybe he made like an extra $5 million on you and now like you just see them as like more arrogant and things like that. It's like, oh, this guy like or like you know and like the guy who made all that loot's like well these guys are lazy i don't want them you know being around my kids they might teach them the wrong stuff like you you kind of get what i mean yeah man just this like bullshit little factions that we've kind of created to create more separatism but this minutia never stops yeah right i mean this these trivialities this ego mm-hmm. and basically like i said these rumors this gossip mm-hmm. this drama that has become characterized of our society yeah. it's not until we get rid of that toxic 
culture and yeah. attitude that the real change is going to begin. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't care. I'll be honest with you. I really don't care anymore what anybody has to say. Yeah. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Well, just that simple because point, no. <laughs> well, that's exactly it. Just like you asked earlier, like if it bothered me, it did at first. Yeah. I think to myself, like, are you being serious? Like yeah. I'm actually trying to do legitimate save out here yeah. and you guys are saying all this. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just why instead, why wouldn't you put all that attitude away and try helping yeah, me? Yeah. Or, you know what, go out there and do it yourself. Mm-hmm. But like I said, not, any, not anymore. Yeah, I'm yeah, at yeah. the point where it's just like, you know what, I know what I yeah. need to and do. And I know the difference yeah. that we're making in the community. And that's all that matters to me. Okay. Right? Like if we're making, able to make a change in even one child's life and put them on the right track. Yeah it doesn't matter like what criticisms or hatred Absolutely. or judgment somebody would want to impose on me yeah. go right ahead yeah right because then that's your problem not mine absolutely and now that's eleven forty. i think that's a good time to stop <laughs> i know you got somewhere to be at 12 so again i want to thank you for coming on thank you I sir wish, i appreciate I wish that. you were here a little earlier <laughs> hey that was desi time yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> better to get more out of a few more questions but you know another time right? another time chat it up. But, absolutely yeah, thanks so much for coming out Appreciate it. And uh, welcome to another episode of the E Squared Podcast. Subscribe, like, share. And uh, yeah, again, we're out. Awesome. Thank you. He'll be back next week and we'll be back regularly programming, but this was a good one. Yeah, that's good.